If you would, please, let's go to the 101st Psalm this morning, the 101st Psalm. I appreciate you guys doing that. I know there's practices and all the rest of that stuff, and you've got to get here early, but you really rejoice my heart when young people like that up there singing about Jesus. And I think, personally, I think it's extremely manly for a man to be able to stand up and sing about the Lord and not give a flip what anybody thinks about him. Because it is what it is. Like your, your opinion's not going to ruffle my feathers. It don't matter. We need more boldness, folks. We get too many of us are getting too paranoid all the time and too worried about not wanting to look religious. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. I really don't care if you can take me out in the front yard and beat my brains in in a fair man-to-man fight. Start the timer. Let's clap hands and go. You're a coward. You don't got a backbone. You're not a man. If you won't stand up for what's right, and if you won't boldly say, "Hey," Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm the Lord's. Yes, I believe the Bible is the answer. You're not a man. You're not, I mean, I, you might be in a human sense. I get it. But I'm talking about being a real man. I'm talking about courage. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about guts. And uh, we need more men like that. Not, not in a jerk sense. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm talking about calmly and lovingly being willing to take whatever you got coming for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 101st Psalm, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I think every person in this room should consider memorizing the second verse in this psalm. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O when wilt thou come unto me? Watch it. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. I thank you so much for Jesus Christ stepping into my life. Lord, I know what I am without you. I'm painfully aware of the kind of man that I am. I I know there's a good chance I could have had some human success in the world, making money or whatever else there is to it. But Lord, I would never know how to care about somebody else, not in and of myself. I just, don't, I just don't have that mentality, God. I certainly wouldn't care at all about you or your word. I certainly wouldn't be able to love my wife or my kids like I should. I, I certainly would never be able to preach this book or pastor a church. I thank you that Jesus stepped into my life and messed up all my plans and changed my direction. Thank you for being God. Thank you for knowing what I need Thank you for seeing in me what uh, I and nobody else could ever see in myself. Thank you for being able to do with me what nobody else and nothing else could, what I couldn't even do with myself. And Lord, you've allowed me to be the pastor of this church, and I thank you for it. And I pray this morning that you would help me as I'm in your pulpit, that I would preach your word to your people the way you'd have me to. I pray you'd soften the hearts of the people that are listening. I know that sometimes my style, personality, or way of saying things can really frustrate people or turn them off, and I'm not intending to do that, but I still have to follow you and be myself. But I pray this morning that you'd help me to do so in a wise way, and I pray that you'd use this message and the things that are said to be a help to these people, and to give each individual here, because you alone see hearts and minds and lives, and you alone know what goes on in secret, you alone know each and every one of us, even in ways we don't know ourselves. So I pray you'd give every person what they need this morning. We, God, we've been seeing your hand of blessing in our church. Thank you for the, the family joining this morning, Lord. And we pray, God, you'd continue to do what you're doing. We just ask you to continue helping us and blessing us. Protect us now and speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you. You can be seated. You notice, according to the title of this psalm, it's a psalm of David. And I find it interesting because in verse number 2, he says, I'll behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Now that, to me, is a pretty wild thing. You know why that's wild? Well, what does all the world know about King David? What does Hollywood know about King David? What is the average lost person on the street that doesn't know the Bible at all, if you bring up the name of King David, what are they going to know about David? They're going to know right about what David did with Bathsheba, and then everything David did to cover it up. It's amazing the details that they'll get 
about a man named King David. By the way, a great man. The Bible said about David that he was a man after God's own heart. God's looking down from heaven and he sees that Israel chose a king and, and it was their decision to do that. God gives them Saul originally who started out right and went drastically wrong. And when God brought judgment on Saul, God says, I'm going to give them a good shepherd. I'm going to give them a shepherd that's going to love them, that's going to take care of them, a man that's going to follow me, a man that's going to be after me. He's going to be aggressively seeking me with his life. And that man I know will take good care of my people. David's a man after God's own heart. When David is writing his story, he talks about how God set him up as king. And you know what David said in that passage? He said, he liked me. That's one of the coolest verses in the Bible. One of my top ten probably favorite verses. You normally wouldn't notice it. You'd read through there and he liked me to make me king over Israel. But that thing jumped out at me when David said, he liked me. I said, you know what I want? I want God to like me. Yes, <laughs> I know God loves me. He so loved the world. God loves his enemies. You realize that? I mean, Jesus Christ died on the cross for people that cuss his name. For people that reject him and wind up in hell, he still died on the cross to save even them. He loves us all. But man, it's pretty awesome if I could say God likes me. Why'd God make you king, David? Because he liked me. If he liked you, he might have made you king. God don't like you. He likes me. What a great man. And to think about that man, I mean, guys, do you realize that God is going to make him a prince in the millennial kingdom? David hasn't yet even received all the blessings God has coming from him. He's going to be ruling and reigning in the millennium as prince over Israel. God's got a lot in store for that man. What an absolutely great man. And you see the heart of this great man, because in verse number two, he says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Now, I want to say something that's really tough, okay? So just... Buckle up. Put your bulletproof vest on. Or drop your guard and take the help that I'm trying to be. You are what you are when nobody sees, nobody knows, no one will ever know, and you're not going to get caught. You know, that's a tough one, ain't it? Now you know exactly what you are. You know that God sees everything you do, everything you think, everything you do in secret. You get away with nothing before Almighty God. But your real character, we all get dressed up, you know, for church or to go in public or whatever, and we comb our hair. I mean, at least, you know, people used to do that, and they would comb their hair and brush their teeth and stuff. You know, nowadays it's kind of questionable, but... We all put on our best for everybody else. And you could know somebody, listen, I hate to say this, and I'm not trying to create a bunch of skepticism and criticism and doubt of one another, okay? That's not healthy. But the fact of the matter is, is that I could know somebody for years and actually develop a personal opinion of them and think they're a great person, but you really don't know somebody till you live with them. That's one of the things that drives me bonkers is to think, to think. And this helps keep me straight because I think about it. I think about what it would be to be my wife and kids sitting in church, listening to me preach on Sunday, and thinking, yeah, well, I wish he was that way at home. Who actually are you? That's my question. Who are you? You ever have stuff come out sometimes about somebody you thought you knew, and then sooner or later their sin finds them out because the Bible says it will. Sooner or later they reap what they sow. Sooner or later that pleasure that they're having in sin for a season, and a time comes for that thing to be reaped, and reality comes out, and the truth comes out, and you find out all kinds of debauchery was going on behind closed doors, and you never would imagine that man or that woman would be that kind of a person. That's a scary thought, ain't it? David says, I'll walk within my house with a perfect heart. Guess where he was when he committed the sin with Bathsheba? Think maybe David learned something from his mistakes? You know why I think this is absolutely a beautiful setup that God gave us this morning? Because you're looking at a man who was a failure on the ultimate level. I'd be willing to bet you that nobody in the room has murdered somebody. I mean, you know, if you have, you just... Might not want to raise your hand right now. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet you that nobody in the room, I mean, there's a good chance nobody in the room has actually done what you wanted to do in your heart because there's probably a really good chance that nobody in the room has gotten away with it in their heart, in their mind. 
Come on, man. You ever watch a five-year-old throw a fit or a four-year-old, three-year-old throw a fit? You ever see the hate in their eyes when you don't give them what they want? Some of them kids don't know repercussions for actions. Do you understand that? They don't know what, they don't know, they don't understand repercussions for actions. You, you do understand that, right, mom and dad? You have to teach them that, but that's another subject. If they could take a gun and shoot you, they would. <laughs> I know, you're just, oh, not my little baby. Okay, let's just move on. Mama bear came out, you know. You ever watch them? It's in the human nature. You understand that. All these sins are in your human nature. Here he is, he's on his rooftop in his own house, and he walks out there, gets off his bed, noontime or whatever the thing said it was, midday or whatever, whenever it was, but it was a time he shouldn't have been as a king on his bed. He should have been out at war with his guys. And instead, he's loafing back at the house because he's got so much success and victory, and he gets up and walks out on the roof, and there's a woman bathing herself. Now, you can blame Bathsheba all you want, and that's possible that there's blame there, but it's supposition, Your Honor. And the reason it's supposition is because the Bible doesn't say She had every right to think David would be out with the rest of the men. So you can't blame it on the women all the time, fellows, because it's not always the women's fault. And by the way, if they're lost, they're lost, so you can't blame it on her either. you got a responsibility between you and God to be the man God wants you to be, and that man is the man you are, and woman you are, and child you are, when you're alone in your house, and nobody will know that's who you are. Now, what does God know about you this morning? We literally could give an invitation right now and be done for the day. But you're not getting off that easy. I worked too hard this week to get ready. (laughs) I got thinking about this and I looked at my Bible and I thought of Samson. Do you know Samson in Hebrews chapter 11 is in the hall of faith as one of the great men in the Old Testament? You know what Samson was? He was a stinking whorehopper, man. I got thinking about Rahab. You guys know the whole story of Rahab? You know what she was? She's Rahab the what? Rahab the harlot. She's considered a great woman in the Bible. I thought about Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Talk about a man standing up against the whole world preaching for 120 years, building an ark when it had never rained before, telling them it's going to rain on the earth. They thought, you're nuts, man. They mocked him, made fun of him, and the earth had become so vile at that point that when God drowned out the animals, he did so because the animals had even become polluted by the filthy depravity of the human beings. Do you understand what I'm saying? The trajectory this nation and world is on right now. And they put cutesy little names to it, and then they incorporate it into your schools and get it brainwashing your kids with it. And it's little furries, you know. It's not a joke. According to God, it's an abomination. That stuff is wicked. Now, you get offended with me for saying that's an abomination. You got something wrong with you, man. You ain't thinking clear anymore. You're brainwashed by society. And they'll turn around and say that preacher's trying to brainwash you. Yes, we are with pure water of the word of God while they're trying to get your septic tank into your ears. Stuff's wicked. Noah's standing up against that stuff and preaching against it by himself and the whole world's mocking him, making fun of him. And he was a preacher of righteousness according to the Bible. You know what Noah did after the flood? He got drunk. You guys ever stop and think about Moses? God says the meekest man in all the earth. I'm being super nice to you this morning because you know what? We all get convicted by this message. I'm just telling you right now. God says he's the meekest man in all the earth. Moses, my servant. God spoke with Moses face to face like a man would talk to his friend. He says, no man can see my face, so he let him see his backside, and he puts his hand over there in the cleft of the rock, and he passes him, and he saw the Lord. What high cotton, man. That is unbelievable. That guy made it to levels between him and God most human beings never make it to in their personal relationship. You talk about a holy man of God. That's Moses, man. You know what he did? He saw somebody beating up one of his brethren. He looks this way, that, murdered the guy and buried him and thought he got away with it. <laughs> I just named you, I named you a whoremonger. I named you a harlot. I named you a murderer. I named you a drunk. I made you an adulterer and a murderer. And I just named you a bunch of people in the Bible that God said are great people. 
that are examples to you and I on how we should live our life. <laughs> you know what that book never said? It never said do what they did when they messed up at the lowest level. Those things God wrote, one of the proofs, one of the proofs, and I got much better ones for you. If you don't know for sure the Bible's the Word of God, I, if you'll give me a chance and you'll pray and make sure that I'm telling you the truth and ask God to reveal it to you, I'll blow your mind and I'll convince you beyond any argument you could make. And then the, you, you literally get to a point where you either say, I'm going to accept it or reject it, period, the end, because it's, it makes all the sense in the world that that book in your lap is the Word of God. But I digress. One of the proofs, that that Bible's the Word of God, is that when men wrote their story, they put the full truth in there. You understand what I'm saying? When you write your autobiography, if you did something like David did, you'd never put it in there that I saw another man's wife, I took another man's wife, that man was a loyal friend of mine who would lay his life down to protect my own, and then I murdered him to cover up my sin. You got all these atrocities going on with these people that are just as, as, as godly and love the Lord as much as anybody in this room would want to, and then some. And what he says in verse number two is, I will behave myself in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I'd be willing to bet you, and it would just be a bet. I can't prove it from the Bible. I'd be willing to bet you he wrote this after his sin with Bathsheba. I'd be willing to bet you that after he had that experience, he learned from that experience. Listen, God steps outside of his own dispensational boundaries to not have David put to death for that sin, to forgive that sin and cover it. That's why David is one of the types of your New Testament salvation in the Old Testament because he should have died for what he did under the Old Testament law, but God said, I'll put it away, David, and David paid fourfold for what he did. He lost four of his kids because he took another man's wife and then took his life to cover it up. He paid for it. But you know what he found? He found mercy of God. And I would, I'd be willing to bet you he wrote this afterwards. He says, I'll behave myself wisely in a perfect way. You know what he learned from misbehaving? I don't want to misbehave. He learned from misbehaving that, yeah, the pleasure was there in sin and it was a blast for a very short period of time. And that very short period of time ended awful fast and then the rest of my life I had to suffer. The rest of my life I shed tears. The rest of my life I was buried under the pain of the results of my sin. The stars stayed with him to his death. And yet he's writing this song full of joy, happy, with a great future, still yet unfulfilled. You guys see why he's the perfect guy to write this song? I mean, can anybody in the room relate? <laughs> Listen, I remember as a little boy when my dad was pastoring, it just blew my mind watching people get saved. I remember drug addicts, grown adult drug addicts getting saved and coming off the drugs and getting clean. I remember women that were not very godly women at all. They did whatever it took to support their drug addiction, if you follow what I'm saying. I mean, like, like, like rough backgrounds, getting saved and getting cleaned up and getting right with God. Man, that always stirred my heart. It was just, it's wonderful to see what God Almighty can do when He gets a hold of somebody and He gets them out of their sin and cleans them up and, and puts them, I mean, takes them from the world and the street and all the sin and the pain of sin and puts them in the church choir, man. That's a great thing to see what God can do and a smile on their face. Listen, I'm telling you a fact of the matter. You can meet them 10 years after they've been serving Jesus Christ, 10 years after they get saved, and they look younger than they did 15 years ago. That's the power of what God can do inside when your heart inside is washed clean and, and that sin is gone and that guilt is gone and the relationship with the God that created you has showed up. Isn't it a great thing to know that a man like David could write a psalm like this and say, man, I'm going to sing and I'm going to rejoice. Can I warn you about something? We got people in this room from all kinds of backgrounds. You know what your friends will do? Your friends will say, oh yeah, you were in Sue, you went to church, carrying a Bible. I know what you used to be. Nothing makes me more mad than that, man. I mean, I just start getting in the flesh so fast. I'm sorry, that's terrible, isn't it? I probably shouldn't talk like that as a pastor. Brand new members of the church, like, oh, we shouldn't have joined. I get in the flesh so fast, oh man, I know you 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you don't know me. Shut up. 
You're trying to hold over my head something that I used to be. Oh, we know the kind of guy you are. Yeah. I had him say that to me. You know, I, now I'll say it a little sweeter, hopefully with the Lord in it this time. You know what drives me nuts? Is when 15 years ago, when I, 16 years ago when I started the church, people still think I'm the same kind of pastor that I was back then. I hope I'm changing. Somebody got mad and left the church and you've changed. I thought, oh, praise the Lord. I'm trying to. Good. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not the same guy I was 15 years ago. You know what the devil likes to do? He likes to drag up what you used to be, what you did at some point, some mistake you made, and hold it over your head the rest of your life. But this man's writing a psalm saying, I'm going to sing of the mercy of God. I'm going to show God. You know what he had to do? He had to remind himself of some things. You know what you and I need to do this morning if we really want to live in our private life? I said in our private life. Like God wants us to live. We've got to remind ourselves of some things. Now listen, I've made the point well enough. I'm going to give you my three points and we'll get out of here. Because I'm hungry. <laughs> listen, everybody on the planet is a hypocrite. Just offended my whole church. Just one shot, just like that. Isn't that great? <laughs> don't buy this garbage. I don't go to church because they're hypocrites. You go to Walmart, don't you? Excuse the illustration, you've heard it before. One person particularly used to get on my nerves because every time I was, hi, welcome to Walmart. And I was like, you're miserable, you hate your job, and you can't stand seeing people walk in because you had to get up and look up from your phone to say, hi, welcome to Walmart. You know, you're the greeter. You're a hypocrite. I don't feel welcome at all. You're not happy to see me. Wipe that <laughs> fake smile off your face, and let's just move on, okay? You go back to Walmart, don't you? Anybody ever been ticked off by the cashier? You go back, don't you? Come on, man. You know everywhere you go, people are hypocrites? Don't you feel like a hypocrite sometimes as a Christian? Come on, be honest. You're one thing on Sunday morning, and you go home, and you mess up again. Well, you're in pretty good company because this guy understands it, and God said he is a man after my own heart. So don't let other people use the hypocrite angle on you, number one. Number two, don't let the devil use the hypocrite angle on you if you're trying Number three, don't be a cotton-picking hypocrite. Amen. Amen. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to be real. But we got to recognize that there are times in all of our lives where we're somewhat hypocritical. And if you weren't, nobody would like you. How you doing today? I'm doing horrible. I got a headache. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to see you. And actually, to tell you the honest truth, I never really like you anyways. I'm just nice to you because I'm trying to be nice to you, okay? So leave me alone and don't ask me how I'm doing. I'm just not a hypocrite. You ever meet people like that? That's just who I am, and I just am who I am, and people don't like that. They can just deal with it, because I am who I am. Well, woohoo! aren't you all that? Shut up and get away from everybody. <laughs> We're all a little bit of hypocritical sometimes, and on some level, if you want to define it strictly, maybe it should be. You understand what I mean? I'm doing fine, thank you. Good to see you. Lord, please help me to mean that. <laughs> I'm talking about having a hypocritical heart because you're an actor when you get around people, but in secret, you're delving into all kinds of secret sin, living like the devil, and you need to be put in jail. That's what I'm talking about. You got a man here who should have been, and he got some things straightened up, and he's singing in verse number one of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. You know what you got to remind yourself? You got to remind yourself that you have a merciful God. If everybody in the room knows about you what God knows about you, how many friends would you still have? Do you ever stop and think about that? If everybody here knows what God knows about who you really are, how many friends would you still have? But you know God still loves you. You know God knows everything there is to know about you. 
God knows the deepest, darkest secrets and the deepest, darkest recesses of your mind and He still loves you and He still cares about you and He'll still save your soul. Listen, God Almighty will save the soul of a man on death row who deserves to be on death row before that man dies. God will save him. Because God's a merciful God. Now, I struggle with that sometimes. I Honestly, I struggle with it. There's just a very small segment of human beings, and you can judge me if you want for this, but I'm a girl dad. There's a small segment of human beings that I just, I have a hard time accepting it. But God died for sinners. And he shed his blood for sinners. And Jesus Christ loves and will save any sinner who will come unto God by him. Anybody. I mean, I've already just given it to you. We're all sinful. We all get that, right? I mean, we all get that there's none righteous, no, not one. We all get that the wages of our sin is death. I get it that I deserve to get old. I get it I deserve to die. I'm, I'm good with that fact. I'm not, I don't, you're not going to find Mike Reagan arguing the fact that I deserve to kick the bucket. I deserve to get old. I know that I'm a sinner. Listen, they got my hair cut this week, thank God. And the woman's like, getting awful shiny up there. <laughs> Every stinking time she sees me, it's got to be something like that. You know, she's a decade older than me, and, she's, and I can't see that because she's female. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? I can't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, really? Thanks a lot. That's a blessing. I deserve it. One of the other ones, just to aggravate me, is like, you think about dying? I said, no, I don't. She's like, I didn't think so. <laughs> I earned every one of them. You're not going to find me arguing the fact that I'm a sinner. I get it. I get what I deserve. Do you know what I understand? This is what I understand. See, this is the difference between me and some people that think I'm the self-righteous Christian guy. The difference between me and them, I know that I deserve to go to hell. When I say I'm not going to hell and I know for a fact if I die today I go to heaven, that's not me saying I think I'm great. That's me saying, I recognize that I'm a sinful man and that I deserve to go to hell because of my sin. That is actually a very humble statement, though on the surface you think, man, that guy thinks he's going to heaven and everybody else is going to hell. That's never what I ever thought. I believe I'm going to heaven because I understand the mercy of Almighty God on a sinful man like me and what he did for me when he sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary. I get it, I couldn't hack it. I get it, I can't make it. I couldn't make it to the end of the day if my salvation rested in me getting it. But I sure enough recognize I'm saved. And you know where I got that from? A merciful God. Now if he was merciful to me when I was an enemy and came to him and asked him for salvation and he gave it to me by grace, I don't deserve it. Through faith and what that book said Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, not a religion, but what the Bible says. Okay, if that's what the Bible says, I'm doing it. When I came to him, and he had mercy on me like that, now that I'm his son, don't you think he'll have mercy on me if I'm sorry? Come on, mom and dad. Your kids can rip your guts out, man. They'll break your heart. But boy, nothing break your heart more than seeing your kid cry. Nothing. Especially when they're crying a tender-hearted, I'm sorry cry. You'd go through hell and back, wouldn't you? Come on, wouldn't, hello, maybe we need to preach on being a parent, <laughs> wouldn't you? If you do that for your kid, you think Almighty God won't do it for you? He says, I remind myself of mercy. I'm going to sing about the mercy of God. I'm thankful I got a merciful God. You see, I'm setting you up on purpose right now. What I'm trying to tell you is, yes, we're messed up. And yeah, we all probably got some things we got to get right. But we got a God in heaven who's merciful to us. And that's a very good thing. He's a father you can go to in your time of need. He's a father you can run to when it's all messed up. He's where you run for safety. He'll be your advocate. He'll be your attorney. He'll be your judge. And he's the judge you want because it's a judge who knows how and when to dish out mercy and boy I thank God for a God like that it puts a song in my heart man but think about mercy now you live in a generation forgive me for a second all they want to hear about is grace love and mercy and what that means is 
I got this cover over me to go live however I want to live and just be a hypocrite and claim I'm a Christian on Sunday and live like anything else I want the rest of the week. And you'll figure out, you just watch them, you'll figure out how it works for them. Give them 20 years. See how it turns out. Think about the word mercy. You know what the Bible says in the book of James? I think it's chapter 3, verse 12 or something like that. It says, mercy rejoiceth against judgment. He says in verse 1, I'll sing of mercy and judgment unto thee. The fact that we even need mercy and have mercy is because judgment is what we deserve. Listen, it's a small thing that I'm judged of a man. Paul said it's nothing that I be judged of man's judgment. Not worried about it. You want God to judge you? You see, you stack me up next to men, and there's some I feel like I do pretty good against. And there's others uh, I kind of could aim for that guy. I'm not quite there. There's another level. You know, in everything there's levels, right? You get that, right? You always got to level up. If you want to get better, you got to level up no matter what you're doing. Now, there's always another level up when you compare yourself to men. But you have Almighty God stand there and look at you and judge you. You know, every little feeble, childish, goofy, I mean, I don't care if your IQ is 150, 160, 170, 180. 180. You, you know what level I'm talking about? <laughs> I think, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, this is off the top of my head, so have mercy on me. I think the average IQ for a physician would be like 125 or something like that, minimum. You need to be about around, around 125 is what they are, a doctor. I don't care if you're 180. He's God. He's God. Your limited little education, your puny little IQ at 180, your puny little IQ, your limited life experience, your puny little shallow view of a great big world, not to include a universe, not to mention time, not to mention eternity. You want God to judge you? No, I'm good. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, if God's my judge, then the first thing I'm doing is this right here. What you got to say for yourself, boy? Absolutely nothing, sir. Why'd you mess it up? Because I'm a sinner, sir. Well, why didn't you do right? Because I fell short. Why'd you fall short? No excuse, sir. Well, I mean, didn't I do enough for you? You did more than enough, sir. Why'd you mess it up? Because I messed up, sir. But why? I, got, I don't have a good reason. I could actually tell you I knew better. And I knew the end result. And I was weak. And I failed. And, and all I want to say is I'm, I'm thankful that I have an advocate. And in steps the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, Father, I understand because I was tempted in every point like as he is, yet without sin. I have compassion on Mike Reagan because I remember his frail. I know that he's but dust. He messed up! But I didn't. Talking about judgment. Oh, I don't want to face the judgment of God without an advocate like Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life because I can't. I've got to remind myself that I've got a merciful God. I've got to remind myself that that God also rewards me. Look at verse 6. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. You see what he's saying? He's already a king. So I'm willing to bet you that he wrote this after he had messed up. And he that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. You know what he's saying in verse 6? He's saying, I'm going to watch the faithful. Mine eyes are going to be on the guys that are doing right. My eyes and my attention are on the ones that have made it. My eyes and my attention are going to be on the faithful of the land because I know, God, that you're a God that rewards a man according to his doings. You will reap what you sow. You will reap in proportion with how you sow to an extent. And oftentimes when you sow one seed, that one seed can bring multiple fruits. Now that's a scary thought. He said, I'm going to watch the faithful. That is why, and forgive me for this if it offends you, that's why I pick an older man, at least 20 years older than me, and I've always done that. I've always picked an older man to follow, and I pick who I follow, they don't pick me. 
Now, that's tough because, you know, you've got to hope that they'll accept you. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. I first talked to Dr. Lentz, and he was sitting there across the desk from me, and I was thinking about leaving that one big box Bible college and come to his Bible Institute. And he's sitting there looking at me like, and I said, well, I think I should come here. Then come. I know, but God called me over there, and everything I've ever done in my life, I always quit. And everybody tells me I'm a quitter, and i got to finish. I said when I went there that I wasn't going to quit until I got done with, the, with my bachelor's degree. And, and then stay. <laughs> I know, but I really feel like I should come here. Then come. <laughs> like, oh! I wanted to... It's disrespectful, but I just did. He was so aggravating. But I knew something about that old man. I knew he'd been around a while. I knew he knew some stuff. I didn't understand why he dealt with me a lot the way he dealt with me, but looking back, man, that guy was a shark boy. He was so good. And not in a dangerous way, but in a way where he really wanted to help me. He cared about me. He passed away. I called Dr. Peacock. I can't forget it. I'm sorry I bring it up, but you talk about people you love and appreciate. They just come out. You understand what I'm saying? Sure. I called Dr. Peacock. What can I do for you? <laughs> started stuttering, you know what I mean? What do you want? I'm Mike Reagan. I, I met you once at Berlin. I know who you are. What can I do for you? But you know what I knew? I knew I'd seen his life. I knew I'd watched him serve God. I knew I'd seen his testimony. And I, my eyes were on the faithful of the land. You know what you live in a generation of folks? You live in a generation of people who follow their peers. And, and I'll say this to defend that generation, okay? Which is, that, that, by the way, I'm not being mean. It's the dumbest thing you can do. Yeah. Now, to defend them. I think a lot of the older folks have dropped the ball. I don't feel like they feel like they can go to somebody 20 years older than them and ask for help and advice without getting berated and put down and criticized and picked apart. Or most of us that are at that point in life where that's where what, that's where, where, that's what we should be doing. That's where we're at. You follow what I'm trying to say? Most of us are too busy scrolling a cotton picking social media feed. How long you been around? You're that into people? Time comes you ought to grow up and not be so into everybody else's life. Who cares what they're driving, where they're living, whether they're on vacation, how much they make, whether they got a wonderful marriage or don't. It has nothing to do with my life. And we're so into everything else that we're not paying attention to people that need help. He said, my eyes are on the faithful of the land. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. My preacher told me many years ago. He said, just stay faithful. He said, you watch. Your church will grow. People will watch you for years before they're willing to come. It used to frustrate me so much when I was young. and we, I thought when we got this building and finally had a location, we weren't in a storefront anymore, that we were just going to pack it out. And it was like... Actually, the attendance went down a little bit. I was so discouraged. You know what he said? The most important thing is to stay faithful. Did God call you there? Yes, sir. Is God in it? Yes, sir. Then stay. Get your eyes on the faithful of the land. You got to remind yourself of God's holiness and God's goodness and God's rewards. You got to remind yourself, rid yourself of something else. Look at verse 3. I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. He said, I hate the work of them that turn aside. Do you know what, you know what Paul said about wicked people to the Corinthian church? And such were some of you. Do you know he'd gone through and named just about every sin under the sun? And then he said to the Corinthian church, and such were some of you. You guys remember what you were? So don't hate these people that are pushing all this liberal agenda stuff since you're conservative, Bible-believing, you know, Jesus, Bible-thumpers, and all the rest of that. Don't apologize for being a Bible-believer to anybody. But don't hate other people that don't get it anymore. These people don't get it. Do you want them to get it? Yes. Hello? 
Well, then one at a time, because you're not going to change the course of a nation. One at a time, why don't you care about individuals? Hate the work, but realize God can save the person. I hate what this stuff does to people. You know what I want? I want to rid it, rid my eyes of it. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Think about that for a minute. Now, now listen, I'm not trying to turn you all into Amish people, okay? Do, please understand that before I say what I'm going to say. I grew up around this stuff. There was more standards than you can find in the Bible with a spotlight. You know what I mean? Because that made people holy. I don't, I don't believe all that stuff. But you ought to check out what goes into your eyeballs. You think about this for a minute. And listen, just be, get the balance, okay? Please, please get the balance. Most people in this room have already seen by 10 or 12 years old more murders, fornications, adulteries, bloodshed, just in entertainment in your living rooms than our grandparents would see in an entire lifetime. Got a desensitized culture. Now listen, I love a great UFC fight. And I realize how bloody it is. I was, I was cross-training the Muay Thai when I first started into it at 38 years old. And I was cross-training the Muay Thai, and I'm like, man, I love this so much, but it's stupid to me to just do it in the gym, hitting a bag or sparring with a guy that's not trying to kill you. It's like, can you really do it? You know what I mean? Like in real time when the guy wants to stop you and he wants to hurt you. So it's, I, I wanted to compete. And I made up my mind that one day I wasn't going to compete because I thought this guy was much, much better than me. He was tall and thin and... He didn't look like much, but man, he knew how to control the distance, and he chopped me up. And I got up here on a Wednesday night, and I was like, everything was making sense, but it wasn't cooling out my tongue the right way, you know? And I realized, like, it's not going to work with what I do. Besides that, it ain't a great testimony. If I come in here with stitches in my face because I caught an elbow, you know, and I mean, I think it's cool. But somebody walks in here that's a 50, 60-year-old professional that's looking for a church, and you see a preacher up there with stitches in his face. I mean, come on, what kind of testimony is that? So you understand the balance of what I'm trying to say? I love a good UFC fight. I would rather watch some shoot 'em up movie than some romantic movie. Yeah. Hello, I'm male. <laughs> Okay, so if I'm going to watch a good movie, I want it to be kind of like high adrenaline, you know what I mean? But the fact of the matter is, folks, is that we have got all kinds of stuff coming in our eyes. And it would do all of us some good to step back a little bit and say, what am I looking at? When no one can see me and no one will ever know. That's what you are. We want to be like David. We've got to remind ourselves of some things and we've got to rid ourselves of some things. Notice, look at verses 3 and 4. He says, I'm not going to set a wicked thing before my eyes. We've got to rid ourselves of men that want to take us a direction God don't want us to go. Listen to me. I'm not trying to get you away from your family and friends like a cult leader. Hello? You understand that? i got friends that aren't even saved. You know, you don't need, Jesus did not say, I want you to take them out of the world, put them on a compound somewhere, and make sure that they only wear certain kinds of clothes so everybody knows they're in that religious attachment. That's cultish stuff. He didn't say, I want you to take them out of the world. He said, I want you to keep them from the evil that's in the world. There's a difference. How do you keep yourself from evil? Be the witness you're supposed to be. Listen, you don't have to preach separation at people. You notice every religion... Make sure that you notice who they are by what they wear. Islam, Roman Catholicism, Hindus, go down the list. They assign themselves, the yogis even do it. They assign themselves their wardrobe, which makes them separated under this religion. Well, why would born-again Christians do the same thing? That's a religious thing in the world. That's not God, that's not Bible. You want to be separated? then make up your mind this morning that you're going to walk with God like you ought to walk and that when you're alone and nobody will ever know, you're going to be that person that God wants you to be, that you're going to draw close to Jesus Christ and the closer you draw to Jesus Christ, the sooner those kind of people will get away from you. Because if my relationship with that individual is going to come in the way of me and Jesus Christ, I don't want that individual in my life. Now, 
Don't be the devil and say, well, now I'm saved and I'm trying to serve the Lord more than my spouse, so we should have never got married and use that as an excuse to get divorced. I know how the devil uses this stuff while I'm preaching. I never said that. I just said, listen, don't attach yourself to wicked people willfully. If you're already attached, do what the Bible said about it. Don't divorce your spouse because they're not as spiritual as you are. And don't try to force them to be as spiritual as you are. You lost your mind. It ain't going to work. you got to make sure that you rid yourself of the influences that keep pulling you back when you're trying to serve God. You know what they'll know? They'll know you used to be on drugs. They'll know you used to drink and they'll offer you a beer. And then they'll say, well, you know what? It, it, it's just one. No, I'm an alcoholic. It's not just one. You know what Joe told us that dope dealers do, do, uh, dealers do on East Detroit? Those, those poor people, man. There was one there two weeks ago. He said, I've been clean seven days. I mean, I'm on the Suboxone, but I've been clean seven days. Saw his wife last week. Back on it. Joe said, you know what these dope dealers do, brother? He said, they give him a free bump. They get out of rehab. They get out of rehab, and they're trying I'm talking, about, I'm talking about living in abandoned houses down there with no electricity, no light. You know, girls young enough to be my daughter. Ah, I got dry. I got clean. Yeah, those jokers, you know what those jokers do? They give him a free bump. Here you go, man. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's good. Because he knows as soon as he gives it to them, they can't say no, number one. As soon as he gives it to them, they're back for more. You know what he said? He said, you could... Kill every one of them. He said it like, you wanted to. I mean, you let Joe go, he'll clean it up. You know what I mean? He said, you could kill every one of them and it wouldn't work. I said, why not? He said, because all the doctors are getting this country hooked on it. Out there driving in the suburbs, driving their nice vehicles, living in their nice houses, having their careers, and they're handing it out like it's candy. And a whole bunch of them that when they get used more than what the doctors can give them, they run out, they wind up going down there, they kind of find a replacement, and you find them living out. That might be some of you in two, three, four, five years if you don't get some help from God. But you'll get around those people that'll keep giving you a free bump, you know. He said, I'm not going to go with those guys. I'm not going to hang around with them. I don't care if I lose my friends, I lose my friends. You got to rid yourself of some things. Notice of people that have forward hearts in verse 4. Forward hearts shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Well, I don't want my heart to be forward. I want a tender heart toward the Lord. Look at verses 5 and 7. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. Look at verse 7. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. You, got, you know what you got to do? You got to get away from people that always want to slander other people. My dad said this a thousand times, and I thank him for it. He said, any dog that'll bring a bone will take one. Did you hear me? Any dog that'll bring a bone will take one. Do you know what that means? Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, no, I didn't. Like Brother Lynch used to say, don't come tell me your gossip, because I'm going to want to tell somebody. <laughs> <laughs> He was the most mischievous preacher you ever met in your life. But that's human nature. When they come tell you a secret, don't tell anybody. It's in a prayer request. They will go to somebody else and tell somebody else anything and everything they find out about you. I promise. I don't care. I don't care. What, I just didn't think my best friend. I don't care what you think. I'm telling you, you're going to figure it out or you just know ahead of time when somebody loves gossip, get away from them. And that's what the entire culture is built on right now. That's what social media is 100% all about. Do what you want. I know we're never going to get rid of it. I don't have it. And man, when I got off Facebook, I became happier as a pastor than I ever thought a pastor could ever be. <laughs> I knew too much. I don't want it. I want it out of my life. Notice in verse number five, a high look and a proud heart. You ever, ever get around people who think they're better than everybody else? They walk in the door and they think everybody should notice they're here. 
And if you don't notice me, I'm all offended. Pastor, didn't you say hi to me? I was busy. I mean, like, I'm not being a jerk. I I love you. I pray for you every day. I try to be faithful to pray for you every day, and that's getting more and more of a project. Trust me. But, man, like, come on, really? I mean, if you're a little immature, let me just move on. I'm going to get mean, and I don't want to get mean. I'm trying not to get mean, but really? That proud look, that nose in the ear. You know what? Nobody's nice to me at that church. Maybe if you, I mean, other people come like, man, this is the friendliest church I've ever been in. It feels so relaxing. All kinds of people were talking to me. Did you ever stop to consider it's you? (laughs) I've literally stood in the back and watched because I watch and I try to watch everything. I'm just like a nerd. I'm I'm just like, I'm always like, yeah. And I watch and I'm like, there's a visitor over there. Nobody's talking to them. They're sitting by themselves. And I watch to make sure. And I'm like, yep, okay, she tried. Sister so-and-so just tried. And sister so-and-so and sister so-and-so just tried. That person don't want it. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, nobody was nice to me. <laughs> I stood in the back and watched. <laughs> they tried. Now give them a break when they're new because sometimes they're nervous, right? You ever get like that? When I get nervous, I just, you know, I look like I want to fight something. You know what I mean? That means I'm scared. You understand what I'm saying? So give them a break. But after six months you've been here and nobody's nice to you? That's just not what I've gotten from this church. Don't, don't be that one with a proud look. You know, a nose so high in the air they drown if it rains. You know what I mean? I don't know why we get so much of that going on in church, man. It's just it's crazy. It's supposed to be all about the fact that the mercy of God was shed on us and the grace of God was given to us and we're a bunch of groveling sinners coming at the feet of Jesus Christ, asking Him for help, finding the help, and then we act like we're something after a while. I don't get it. I don't want to be that guy. And I don't want to be around people like that. Look at my last point and I'll get you out of here. If you're going to be like David and walk within your house with a perfect heart, There's some things you need to require of yourself. Look at verse 2. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. You know what you should require of yourself? You should require of yourself wise behavior. Now, I'm not pressuring you. People say, there's so much pressure there. Listen, when you preach the Bible, it's convicting because it gets so personal. The book does that. I'm not pressuring you. You should pressure yourself a little bit. A little bit. Not not too extreme, but, but a little bit. I should require some things of Mike Reagan. I can require of my wife all I want. Listen, that's not a great way to make it to 40. We hit 20 and that's a big deal. So now you're going to hear about 40 for the next 20 years. You understand that? You guys get that, right? I was all about being 40 till I got 40. Now we're going to talk about 60, okay? So just buckle in and deal with it. I count how many times you mention age. Okay, all right, but whatever. Listen, I want to make it to 40 years. You understand that? Ain't going to work if I'm requiring things of her. Listen, ladies, when you require something of him, if he's a real man, he ain't going to be around long. Do you understand that? Real men grovel for only so long and then they're done. I know you shouldn't say that nowadays. It's the males that are the problem. You should sit like a girl if you're a man. Get out of my stinking face, man. Require what you want of somebody else, but that's just going to aggravate you, frustrate you, and make more family and more church problems. It ain't going to work! But there's one person I can require things of, and I can choose what direction that man goes. And you're looking at him. Or most of you are. Some of you checked out a while ago. I want to require some things of me. Now, what you got to understand is, he says, I'll walk within my house with a perfect heart. That doesn't mean sinless in your Bible. I don't have time to run the references because I am getting you out of here. Perfect. Let, let me illustrate it the best I know how. If there's a nail sticking out right here and I got a hammer sitting here and there's a screw sticking out right here and I got a screwdriver here and I want to sink the nail, which is the perfect tool? A hammer, right? For that purpose. But if there's a screw sticking out over there and I got a hammer here, the perfect tool for that screw is. You see, you see the word perfect? 
Now, you can go home and run the references in the Bible, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It can be associated with your works as a Christian. You can be the exact tool in the hand of God that God wants you to be with your life. It doesn't mean you're sinless. Do you remember my introduction when we talked about David and Moses and Rahab the harlot and Samson? It doesn't mean you're sinless. It means you, in spite of the failures you've had and the mistakes you've made, you can become exactly what God wants you to be for the work God has for your life. You can actually walk within your house with the perfect heart. How about this, fellas? How about your kids grow up one day and say, my dad was the perfect dad? How about that? Who cares what the whole world says about you? Oh, we got the perfect pastor. My kids, (coughs) I hate that guy. Honestly, come on now. I mean, really think about that for a minute. You talk about a heartbreak. You talk about a failure. I don't care if we get a thousand people in this church preaching like we do, which would be a miracle in this day and age. What am I? Oh, I just love my pastor. And my wife's like, I'm so sick of that guy. You know what I want to be? I want to be the perfect husband. Now, don't look at me like I am, ladies, okay? You have no idea you couldn't have made it a tenth as long as Miss Grace has made it, all right? (laughs) No, really. Ladies, don't you want to be the perfect mom? And then once you get all that down, you got grandma and grandpa going on. I mean, there's always another level. Do you know what God can do with you if you'll require it of yourself? You'll say, God, listen, God, here's what I'm asking for you. God, from you, I'm asking you to help me be what you can make me be. I'm not settling for anything less. I want to be the man you want me to be. I want you to mold me into what you can make me. I'm going to require of myself wisdom in my actions and the way I operate. You know, Daniel had it. Joseph had it as a teenager. Look at the conclusion. Look at verse 2. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? You see the whole driving force behind why he wants to do right? Why he wants the truth about himself when nobody knows to be a perfect man, upright like Job, one that fears God and eschews evil. Do you see why? His question is, God, when am I going to get more of you? His driving force behind the way he lived his life boiled down to his personal walk with God. Now, here's the thing. When I say something like, you are what you are when nobody knows and nobody ever will know, and you're going to get away with it, that's you. Isn't that convicting? You could probably say, preacher, you could have saved us an hour of our time by just giving an invitation then and we'd have been done. Right? I mean, if we're honest, every one of us would be down here or in our pew, however you want to handle it. I like an old-fashioned altar call. I think it's humbling and I love it. But you do what you want. But every one of us could deal with God about that before we left, couldn't we? And leave better than we came. But here's the deal with that. You got to understand, it's more than just, oh, that's what I really am. That's convicting. The Spirit of God comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. That's tough. People don't like that nowadays. Like, I ain't going back to that church. He told me I'm a sinner. Well, God told us all we're all sinners. And the Spirit of God's work is to begin showing you that. But let me show you the primary work of the Holy Spirit. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is not just to make you feel bad about what you are as a sinner. It's to show you who Jesus Christ is and what he did to take care of that problem. He's the only way for you to become righteous. He's the only way to get rid of your sins. It's his blood on the cross of Calvary that saves you. He did the work. You just have to take it or leave it. And that's on you. Now you're a flat-footed fool. If you'd see something that good and walk away from it and not at least say, show me a little more what you're talking about. Because you know the Spirit of God testifies to what I'm saying that you need Jesus Christ.
don't care if you become a billionaire. You're never going to find in this world what you're looking for until you find the one that made you. Now, if that's what he does for a lost person, right? What do you think he's doing for you, Christian, the Spirit of God? What do you think the Spirit of God's trying to do in your life today? Just beat you up about being a sinner and being a failure and falling short? I mean, is that what he constantly did to David and Samson and Rahab the harlot and Noah and Moses? Maybe the Spirit of God this morning is trying to take the Christian that's already saved and say, why don't you, why don't you just draw closer to the one that saved you? Why don't you just give yourself a little bit more to Jesus Christ today? Why don't, why don't you decide this morning that you want to be more like him? Instead of focusing on all the things that I am that I need to fix that nobody knows, why don't we focus on saying, Lord, I actually want the reality of a genuine, real, deep, personal walk with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then sit back and relax as you focus on that and watch what he'll do in your life. You watch what he can turn you into. Stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.